Kyle, non-alcoholic beerman here, and you are in for a fantastic episode today as Matt and I interview Dr. Paige Patterson. We're incredibly excited about the conversation that we had with him. We're also very excited to be sponsored by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is faithful and true. Matt and I both use it in our personal devotions and our preaching, and we know you will enjoy it as well. You can find out more information about them at csbible.com. Hit that guitar riff. Welcome to the train wreck, folks. It's time for another episode of Not Another Baptist Podcast. A podcast exploring church revitalization, church planting, and other Southern Baptist goodies for your ear holes. And today, folks, we have the Red Bishop himself, Dr. Paige Patterson. But first, the formalities. I'm Matt Hensley, pastor of Mayhill Baptist. I'm joined by Kyle Bierman of First Baptist Alamogordo. We're both pastoring fantastic churches in southern New Mexico, trying not to drown in the waters of church revitalization, and are glad you joined us today as we highlight the only seminary willing to give me a degree, the Southwestern Baptist Theological yeah, Seminary. You better hope that they don't take it away after today. This so. is very possible. This is very possible. You're, you're right. We need to pray that this episode does not uh, take my MDiv away. But for real folks, training is invaluable, priceless, and we should never stop learning. And Swibbits has many conferences throughout the year to allow you to sharpen your preaching, your apologetics, and much more, and certainly has a robust catalog of courses if you're interested in pursuing various degrees they offer. But enough of that, Dr. Patterson, what's happening on the Hill, brother? Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to be with two guys who have a good time in life because that's what you have to do or you end up bitter. So God bless you both. And uh, Southwestern is a fun place to be just due to the fact that we uh, have an outreach now to the whole world through our uh, international program and through the ability uh, to do things online and actually become a part of classrooms here. So every day I wake up in the morning, I'm a thousand years old, but I'm getting younger. <laughs> and, and did I see where y'all had record enrollment this year? Uh, we didn't have record enrollment this year, but we did have the record uh, enrollment for the spring semester of any semester I've been here. So for the past awesome. 15 years, we had a huge increase this time, and we're very grateful for that. Oh, praise praise God. Uh, all right, Dr. Patterson, uh, Matt and I are both voracious readers. And uh, you're, you have somewhat of a legendary library. In fact, I think Matt's life goal is to one day surpass your library, but, but at something like a billion books, uh, he's got a way to go. So, so our question for you, first of all, is can you tell us what the top three books in your library are? Yeah, everything you told me about, that's the toughest question, believe me, because uh, uh, I'm afraid somebody will compare it with something I've said somewhere else and be a totally different bunch of books. But here we go. Uh, probably uh, my favorite book of all is The Biography of John Chrysostom, John the Golden Mouth Writer of, uh, first of all, Antioch and then uh, the capital of the Roman Empire in Constantinople. And I love that book, and it's a great 
of encouragement. Number two book is To the Golden Shore by Courtney Anderson, the life story of Ann and Adoniram Judson. Oh my goodness, what unbelievable people they were and how they gave their lives for Burma. And uh, then my number three book would be uh, uh, a book by um, a very famous man who didn't happen to be a Baptist, but Leonard Ferdwin, who wrote a book on uh, the Reformers and their stepchildren on the Anabaptist. I love that book, uh, done by a non-Baptist, and uh, so he had an objective uh, perspective on it, and it was a wonderful book, and I recommend it to everyone. So that's a little better than uh, Kyle's cat in the hat, I think. Yeah, uh, a well, little deeper yeah. uh, in, in the... That's what uh, happens when you're at Rockbridge, right? You go with cat in the hat. <laughs> well, uh, one, one of the things that uh, I, I'm not sure you're aware of, Dr. Uh, Patterson, is uh, my, my entrance into Southwestern could not have come at a more, um, I guess, just life-changing uh, time for me because I, I was coming back from enrolling at Southwestern when I got a call from our foster agency that we were selected to adopt uh, or to foster a one, two, and a three-year-old uh, on the day I was coming home. And so I'd, I'd exited, uh, coming back from Fort Worth, I'd exited and called my wife and said, I, I can't do it. There's no way that I can be a student pastor, be a dad, you know, for the first time in my life and try and survive seminary. And uh, her comment was that they wouldn't fail me because they're all Christians. And I said, well, I'm not, I'm not sure that's the way that it works, but she just encouraged me to try it. And what led me to Southwestern, uh, though, though I certainly believe it was, you know, God's hand guiding all of that, uh, was the first thing I saw upon campus uh, were the banners that talked about, you know, preaching the word or, or preach the word and reach the world. And I said, that's, that's, why we're on earth. And, uh, and it just seemed right where I wanted to be from the very beginning. And what was drilled into my skull uh, with the various you know, professors that I had was the text-driven or expository preaching. And some think that text-driven or expository preaching is merely going through a book of the Bible a couple of verses at a time. And so how, how would you describe true text-driven preaching for, for our listeners out there? Well, uh, of course, if a man believes that the Bible is, in fact, the Word of God, it has to be more important than anything man thinks about things himself. So we take our lead from that, and we say that a text-driven sermon is a sermon that arises out of the text and is not uh, uh, a topical gem that they come up with somewhere. By using the terminology text-driven sermon rather than expository sermon, uh, you know, expository sermon always sounds like you need a medical means to uh, do something about it, um, text-driven sermon, uh, by that we simply mean that we're less concerned with the mechanics of it. We go through all of that, we teach all of that, but we're less concerned with the mechanics of it than we are with the fact that the sermon is elucidating the Word of God. I have my own little definition for it. I say that a text-driven sermon is helping the congregation read the Word of God. If you'll think about it, that's really what happens in preaching. You're listening to a man preach, and all of a sudden you've read this text 40 times, and yet it 
gets new life and it leaps off the page of the Bible and grabs you around the neck and chokes you into submission. That's what a good text-driven sermon is. And I think Kyle, Kyle had a, a separate question that, that we did not put in kind of our, our email <laughs> to you, but it's, it's one you're going to be okay with. Uh, but but we, I, he is about to go through a, a book of the Bible. And at the last conference I was going through, you had preached a sermon from that book of the Bible. And so he just wanted a little clarification about a pronunciation uh, that you made there. So, so go ahead, Kyle. Yes. So, well, I'm Matt and I are both Texas born and raised kids. No, no, no. I'm and, from California. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm a Texas born and raised kid. And, and there in Texas, uh, we, we call this book uh, Hosea. Now, you, you have a slightly different pronunciation. <laughs> well, yes, uh, it depends on where you were born in relationship to the Mason-Dixon line. Uh, <laughs> if, uh, if you came from north of the Mason-Dixon line, it's Hosea. If you came from south of the Mason-Dixon line, it's Hosea. Or if you wish to be corrected by Hebrew, you're going to have to go back to Hosea. The northerners were right on this one. Well, there you go. Kyle. All right, there you now, go. Now you can fix yeah. it. And well, I've, I have I have Texasized it. Then that's what's happened. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that Matt and I've talked about before are um, our missions givings, and uh, with with Lottie Moon, and of course now we're entering Andy Armstrong, um, and so probably uh, with uh, with our Christmas offering, the the huge emphasis that we've had. I know Southwestern has placed a, an enormous emphasis on missions and particularly with the new building that that has recently uh, opened up there on campus. So tell us a little bit about the new building, what's inside, and then the special feature that that you guys have at the entrance to the new building. Well, I'm happy to tell you about the Mathena building. It is a magnificent classroom building that uh, uh, we have built. It's uh, fun to teach in it because every room is different. Every every classroom, of which are about 17 or 18, uh, is modeled after a ministry of some kind. So, for example, right now I'm teaching in the John Morgan Sagemont uh, classroom, and he's had a lot of uh, experience in Africa, so I feel right at home with uh, African trees and what have you uh, there to see. But the two things that uh, are most famous about it, of course, first of all, we found Lottie Moon's original home in Pingtu, China, and they were about to tear it down to build a new high-rise there, and so it occurred to us hey, if we could buy that house and bring it over here, but we knew the price would go up if they knew we wanted it. So happens we had a layman who has an export business in China, and uh, we found him and we said, can you buy that house and bring it over here? And he said, you bet I can. So for uh, probably a fifth of the amount of money we'd have probably had to pay for it otherwise, we were able to purchase and ship that house over here. And we may never pay Lottie Moon off, but at least we've got her house. <laughs> That's great. We have reconstructed Lottie Moon's house here, and you can actually walk into it and see a timeline of her life and see how she lived and and uh, the marvelous story of her engagement to Crawford Howell Toy, the fifth professor hired at Southern Seminary, who, as you probably know, uh, went to, to the left and, and embraced German higher criticism and lost his confidence in the Bible. And so Lottie Moon eventually said to him, Crawford, 
I love you. I will always love you. I will never marry, but I cannot bring you back to the, to the Orient to be in my mission. Uh, you would kill it. And uh, so it uh, tells that story and you can actually go through Lottie Moon's house now. And uh, we're thrilled with that. On the outside of the building, when you come up to it, you are introduced to the martyrs. And this came about because almost the first thing that happened to me after I came to be the president of Southwestern Seminary is that a tremendously bright and gifted missionary by the name of McDonald had to give his life for Christ. He was unbelievable with the Arabic language, so much so that they uh, if they didn't see him, they couldn't tell him from, uh, uh, from native speakers. And uh, he went to every tough field in the Middle East and was so gifted coming into Mosul one day in Iraq. Uh, he was ambushed and, uh, and he was, uh, his wife was all shot to pieces, but she made it, she lived. Everybody thought he would live at first, but he died on the operating table. The other three missionaries in the car were killed also. So he is a recent Southern Baptist and Southwestern Seminary graduate martyr. And so it dawned on me that we needed to do something to commemorate the martyrs of the Southern Baptist Convention. There are about 28 who have given their lives uh, for the cause of Christ. And here's the startling thing about it. Half of those have given their lives for Christ on the mission field since the year 2000. So we were able with the help of the International Mission Board and the WMU to recover all about these uh, people who've given their lives. And so we've got a martyr's walk on either side of uh, the school. And there are still places uh, for you if you guys go and give your life on the mission field. I promise we'll put you in the walk there. There's a place for you. Anybody else who gives his life for Christ will be added to the martyr's walk as we thank God for people who've been willing to do that for the cause of Christ. And and just a real quick reminder to our listeners, if you are in Dallas for the SBC meeting, which we're going to talk about here in a minute, uh, Southwestern's doing a free barbecue on Wednesday evening after the uh, annual meeting where you can actually take a look at all of these, Mathena Hall and Lottie Moon's house and the Martyr's Walk. Exactly. And everything else historically we got on campus, including the Dead Sea Scrolls will be on exhibit at Awesome. So, so you'll actually let a uh, Rockbridge student on <laughs> on the campus? Well, sure. You know, there's always a chance that they'll get a higher vision. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, I, I'm a redhead, obviously. So is Dr. Patterson. We're we're known perhaps for our shenanigans, maybe a little bit of a temper, but we try to keep our show a little lighthearted, and and uh, so we want to put you on the spot a bit. What is your most embarrassing pulpit moment? Maybe what's the one time that you said something maybe off the cuff or did something that you immediately regretted, maybe stuck uh, stuck your foot in the mouth, whatever it might have been. What's that embarrassing pulpit moment that you'd like to share? Well, unfortunately, we could spend the rest of the afternoon talking about that. But uh, let me just tell you maybe the funniest one. Uh, when I was pastor of Bethany Baptist Church in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, the church was constructed by a person who was not a Baptist and who had no idea how to do things like build baptistries. And so the baptistry was on the same level with the platform, only about two feet behind 
the pulpit. So anytime you were in the pulpit, you had to be real careful that you didn't step too far backwards and uh, participate in, say, baptism, self-baptism. Well, I was always careful and didn't do that. But one day, one of my deacons decided that he was going to save him a cleanup. And so he put, he found him an old plastic mat up in the, uh, in the, uh, top of the church there and of course it was very very dusty but he put it down so he wouldn't have a water clean up didn't bother to tell me about it so I baptized about six people and by the time they'd all walked across it it was as slick as glass so I, I called on a deacon to lead in prayer and after the baptism and I started out and of course as soon as my feet hit it they both went straight up and with a thundering clap, as you can imagine man my size would make, I thundered back to the floor. And the deacon stopped praying. Everybody looked up to discover their pastor not breathing and knocked my breath out so much. And I'm lying there on the floor. The deacon is over me, shaking me, saying, breathe, breathe, breathe. <laughs> and so finally, I did manage to get a breath. And as I tried to struggle up, I heard the deacon continue his prayer by saying, and dear God, thank you for saving our pastor today. <laughs> well, I, I guess there, there could have been worse ways for that prayer to, uh, to end. That, that's incredible. My, mine are just more, more kind of word flubs. You know, around Christmas, I was, I was trying to get the word manger out. And uh, I, I apparently com combined the stable with the manger, and I kept calling it the stanger over and over. And finally, I had somebody in the church like, "That's not how it goes." Like, and so yeah, that that was my most recent embarrassing one. Yeah, my my one more recently was in my own home church out here when I was preaching on Abraham, and I meant to say his posterity, and I said his poster, uh, posteriori or something like that. I don't know. There, there was considerable laughter about that. Yeah. Um, so, so Dr. Patterson, this June, uh, the, the SBC annual meetings happening right there in your backyard in, mm -hmm. in Dallas. And uh, so one of our goals here with the podcast is really to bring folks uh, from all levels of experience, from all types of experience, and even from different perspectives in, in soteriology, eschatology, and so forth. And so we Baptists kind of have a, a reputation for arguing about everything from doctrinal matters to colors of the carpet. Uh, so as we're approaching this, this SBC meeting, what are some things that have, that absolutely must unite Southern Baptists? And, and why are those elements so important? You know, um, I ask the question from a slightly different angle and say, what was it that God blessed in Southern Baptist life above everything else? And when I ask the question that way, the one thing that God blessed about us that was different from every other movement that happened in the United States is Southern Baptist embraced the souls of men. It made a difference to us whether or not people heard the gospel and whether they went to heaven or hell. And if Southern Baptist can go ahead and debate everything in the world they want to debate. And you're right. We debate everything. It's part of a free church denomination. I wouldn't want it to be any other way. And so we can debate all this, all we want to be 
all we want to, but we must remain committed to lost people. If we are committed to lost people, it doesn't matter whether the man is Calvinist or non-Calvinist. Nobody knows who the elect are. And so if we can honestly take a Spurgeonic position, and uh, he was Calvinist, I'm not, but we absolutely agree together that we must reach the loss for Christ and that that has to be very overt. It has to be a conscious part of everything that we do, including our prayer life, our congregational life, everything we do. If we will keep lost people foremost in our thinking, God will still bless our movement. Amen. And, and I think we both agree. And, and I've, I've shared this story numerous times, even on this uh, uh, podcast before, of how Dr. Queen's class in evangelism, it was my first class that I took, nervous as all get out about starting seminary. And, and my first uh, experience was with Dr. Queen. And it literally changed my life, uh, specifically from, as, as you just uh, shared, with the lost of moving from kind of passively accepting opportunities to share the gospel. Maybe if somebody asked what I was reading at Starbucks or or whatever it might be to actively looking for those chances to share the gospel and then taking them uh, by all means, taking them. And so uh, one of the, one of the ways we did that in his class, uh, it was part of your grade uh, was being a part of this. Uh, But would you tell our listeners about the program that Swibbits has for the professors, for the students in engaging the area around the campus and, and how that really came about the vision behind all of that? Well, it really came about because of my failure because What I wanted to do when I came to Southwestern Seminary was to be sure that our seminary was aggressively evangelistic. And I tried and I tried and I tried, and I just, I don't know, had too many things to do or something. It was not coming together as I thought it should. And so somebody said to me, have you considered Matt Queen? Well, I knew about Matt Queen because he had been a student in our PhD program at, at Southeastern. So I called him up and I said, Matt Queen, uh, this is a call from God. Uh, I'm making it on his behalf, but God has called you to become professor of evangelism at Southwestern Seminary. And he said, do I get to pray about it? And I said, yes, we'll arrange three days for you to pray about it. And uh, it took me that long to get your office ready, and then you're on your way. And uh, so he did pray about it, and he came back to me, and he said, well, you're right. That's what God wants me to do. And I said, now, Matt, understand, I want you to teach evangelism. And he has turned out to be a splendid professor of evangelism and a great scholar. But I said, the main thing I want you to do is to create on campus a sensitivity the lostness of the world around us, create an evangelistic atmosphere. That's exactly what the man did. Unbelievably, what he has created here. There's nobody, there's there's some people that come through here that don't witness, but they're all miserable. And uh, so the, the people that come through here are happy are people that learn to share their faith. And that's what he did. So first of all, we put down, we uh, had a suggestion made by uh, Dr. White, who was here at the time, who's now president up at Cedarville. And he said, uh, let's do a one mile radius of, of the school and uh, no, no soul left behind in a one mile radius. It took us a uh, better part of uh, two old years to be sure that we got to every home 
but we did. We got to every home. Uh, then we uh, said, we'll go in the second mile. And so we expanded radius to include a second mile. And we got that done over a period of a couple of years. And now we are uh, down to, uh, uh, what do we call it? Um, everybody, everybody evangelism, everyone evangelized. And we're at third mile mark now uh, from the school. And same time, we keep going back and visiting some other homes uh, in that one and two mile marker too. We're just grateful to God that we've had a way of getting the gospel to every family in the area. Uh, I just feel like there needs to be a like a warning sign as as you're getting close to Southwestern that if you cross this, <laughs> you are going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because I, I remember just driving out of the parking lot and nearly rear-ending somebody at Southwestern because they had pulled over because somebody was walking along the road and they had gotten out of the car and were sharing the gospel. So it's it That's certainly awesome. is working. Uh, and uh, But yeah, there needs to be like a warning sign that if you cross this area, you're crossing into the turf where you are going to hear the gospel. And I love that about Southwestern a, and uh, I'm so grateful. You mentioned Starbucks. Uh, my probably funniest in, encounter was at Starbucks down here because uh, I had a couple of students that wanted to go with me to witness. And so we went out, we had one of those days that you occasionally have where nobody wanted to listen to you. And so I thought the least I can do is buy them a Starbucks coffee at the end. So we went to the Starbucks and got them coffee. I walked out. There was a couple sitting out uh, alone having coffee together. And so I just told the guys, I said, be ready. And uh, we approached a couple and I said to them, I said, how y'all doing? I said, I'm a professor over at Southwestern Seminary. I got a couple of students here with me trying to pass a class. And I said, they need somebody to cooperate with them. They need to, to, to do their thing. And uh, just all you have to do is listen. And it'll take five minutes for each one. Do you all mind doing it? Oh, no, we'd love to uh, help them out. And so, okay, you're on, son. And so he shared the, his testimony, you know, of what Christ had done in his life. So I said, oh, time's up. Got to shut it off. Only five minutes. Uh, go to the second one. He shared his testimony in five minutes and shut him down. And I said, man, listen, I really appreciate you guys listening to this. I said, uh, did it sound like anything you've ever heard before? And they said, no, we never heard this at all before. And uh, I said, well, would you like to do something about it? Would you like to do what they did and receive Christ? And both of them said, yeah, we really like that, you know. And so we prayed and they received Christ. We started to walk away and they said, wait a minute. And I, I turned around and I thought, uh oh, what's, what's going on? And they said, did they pass? <laughs> yes, they passed. They did very well. So it's amazing what can happen at a Starbucks. Too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we we want to just throw one last uh, question. We try to keep these kind of short, and uh, you know we we post them on Fridays, and so these are pastors wrapping up their week, perhaps taking their day off, and and uh, just relaxing. So we keep them short, lighthearted. And uh, if if not another Baptist podcast is somehow able to raise one million dollars for Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, do you think Kyle and I would have the opportunity to preach in chapel? No. 
As a matter of fact, if you only raise a hundred thousand, I'll have you to speak in chapel. How's that? Deal, deal, deal. Right. Awesome. <laughs> well, uh, where where can folks? Where can we send folks to find a little more about what God is doing at Southwestern? Uh, I am told, uh, you know, I'm not very efficient with uh, the the uh, electronics, but I'm told www SWBTS, Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, it stands for dot edu slash SBC. That's edu slash SBC. All right. Well, well, thank you so much, Dr. Patterson, for being with us today. Thank you so much for joining us. And we know there's a billion other things that you could be doing today, but you took the time to listen to uh, the train wreck, the, the dumpster fire. And we hope this was helpful. We hope it brought our listeners some encouragement. And so if you haven't before, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcast feed you use. Visit us online at www.notanotherbaptistpodcast.com or on Facebook under Not Another Baptist Podcast or on Twitter at NAB underscore podcast. Until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as the gospel you declare. Thank you, Dr. Patterson. Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you.